Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast, brought to you by the 2017 URM Summit, a once-in-a-lifetime chance to spend four days with the next generation of audio professionals and special guests, including Andrew Wade, Kane Churko, Billy Decker, Fluff, Brian Hood, and many more. The inspiration, ideas, and friendship you'll get here are the things that you'll look back on as inflection points in your life. Learn more at urmsummit.com. And now your host, A.L. Levy. Hey, welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. I am A.L. Levy. And I want to apologize for the sound of my voice right now. I know it sounds like I'm in an echo chamber. What's going on is that I am moving next week and... The room that I podcast in is torn down. All my acoustic treatment is torn down. So I'm in my living room with normal reverberant walls and wood floor. And that's what you guys got. This is going to be an awesome episode. I get to talk to Brian O today. He is an entrepreneur, producer, smart dude who uh, some people would call him a competitor of ours, but I don't really believe that. I think that he is offering a different perspective than URM on all things learning how to mix and uh, also how to have a uh, profitable studio business. His stuff is great. We endorse it. Uh, if you're a fan of URM, you would also be a fan of his. And uh, he's got a lot of free stuff on his site. Just go to the sixfigurehomestudio.com and you can check out his mixing course from shit to gold, a free website creation course, uh, keys to a six-figure home studio free ebook, a simple business roadmap for free. And uh, he's got other programs coming up that he will talk about in the podcast. Um, this is a guy who has done it for real. Uh, he lives a lot of people's dreams and uh, we all love him. So enjoy this episode. All right. Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. I am Al Levy, and with me is a man that needs no introduction, Mr. Brian Hood of the Six Figure Home Studio and uh, 456 Recordings. Hello. Hey, hey. Hello. Hi. Thanks for having me back again. I know it's been a while, but I don't know how many repeat guests you have on the podcast other than the dear, you know, whoever type episodes. Um, only the good ones. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, I'll take that I, as a compliment then. Thanks. Yeah, I'm starting to go back through some of the guests that we've gotten really good feedback off of or that I had a great conversation with um, and trying to bring them back. But, um, you know, like Nolly, we had him back. Ehrman, we had him back. Josh Newell's been on several times. Uh, yes, you're back. Uh, I mean, we're like at episode 172 or something like that. Yeah. Um, and so it's kind of like after a while, like once you're years in, it's like, yeah, if I spoke to this guy two years ago, I bet if he had interesting stuff to say back then, I bet like he hasn't had a lobotomy, he probably has interesting stuff to say two years later. One would think, yes. Yeah, so hopefully I don't disappoint today. It's like, damn, that first episode Brian did was great. But that second one, what a train wreck that was. Yeah, what happened to that guy? Like, <laughs> drugs, yeah. lots of drugs. No. Lots of drugs in Thailand. <laughs> Dude, that was a so, fun trip. Let's not talk about right, that. So though. speaking of Thailand, um, real quick, I wanted to ask you about Thailand because uh, something that we were talking about in your group um, earlier is about uh, people who want to travel while mixing. And uh, you popped in. Okay, so basically people were responding to an ad that not that you place someone screenshot right. in an ad and posted in your group that there's somebody selling the lifestyle of traveling while mixing to people who don't have mixing careers yet. And you popped in and you said that it's really, really hard to get audio work done while on oh the road. God. And I echo that. Yes. Yeah. So I was there earlier this year. I was in Thailand and Cambodia for an amazing trip, six weeks. Um, and I got about 30 minutes of work done while I was gone. And it was literally to open up a Pro Tools session and fix something for my mix prep assistant, which really does tie into kind of what we were talking about before the podcast starts, which is kind of talking about that outsource conversation, but we're not, let's not get to that yet. But yeah, I, 30 minutes of work in six weeks is all I can manage to do because there's so much to do. And back to the point you made with, with this advertisement, I think it was a, I'm not going to give the name out of this, this company or this, this website, but just someone kind of selling the dream of travel, mix on the road, you know, or, or what is it? The, the, there's, it's been around for a while, the whole 
what do they call it? Well, it's the well, uh, it's kind of the I don't know what it's called, but it's kind digital of digital nomad. Form. Digital nomad yes. is a is a big podcast and a website, and it's talking about basically traveling in really really balls cheap countries and making you know a decent living, but in those countries that money does last longer, and there is some truth to that. But trying to do something like audio while traveling, it depends on what you're doing, of course. But I I don't know how I agree with that. But I'm interested to hear your opinion on that because you were you were actually putting some pretty good feedback on there on the forum for that. Well, okay, I've been traveling my entire life um, because my dad is a traveling musician. I grew up with him, and I would travel with him. And even back before the studio days, I still had composition projects. So I would bring like a four track cassette recorder with me. This was in the '90s on trips to Europe, and still try to write music and. Uh, it was really hard to do that. Then when my band was on tour, I'd bring a recording rig with me. Um, and I'd have a whole plan laid out for how much work we are going to get on tour. I always ended up being like a tenth of what I planned on. <laughs> yeah. Now I travel all the time for Nail the Mix and stuff. And I get, I crush work all the time, but it's, I don't go out almost ever when we're on the road. Like, the other guys will vouch for the fact that lots of times people want to go out and I'm like, nah, I got to go back to my room. And that's the choice that I make in order to get the work Dude, done. You're a better person um, than I am. I, I've come to, I've come to the conclusion that I just have to never schedule work that has to get done. If I'm traveling for a conference or any sort of vacation or anything, that's not in my normal routine. You pull me out of that routine and I am, I am worthless when it comes to getting work done. Well, I used to be, but I guess what I'm getting at is that it's a monumental effort. Yeah. Like it's, it's, uh, it, it takes a lot out of you. And I don't think that if it was mixing work that I'd really be able to hang with it. That's, that's kind of also what I'm getting at the, the stuff that I do for nail the mix. Yeah. I'll podcast from the road. I'll follow up with people that are coming on. I'll post stuff. I'll do that kind of work. But if it was actually audio mixing work, no, no, <laughs> it's just too hard to like get into that headspace while in a new environment all the time. And, uh, I I just I just don't see it. And so the thing is that if you're already a pro mixer and you're getting clients from all over the world, if you're already at that phase, then yes, you can go anywhere you want and do whatever you want with it. Sure. Any of the people that we've had on Nail the Mix or whatever um, or on this podcast could probably do that if they wanted to. But if you're not at that point yet where like you're getting clients all the time from all over the world and making a really banging living in like the first world, uh, why do you think that you're going to make it work somewhere else where you're like remote and possibly don't have good internet and possibly, you know, don't have the same resources? Yeah. So it's getting the actual, when people wanted, what is it, the cart before the horse, that saying where yes. you're just trying to get mm -hmm. the the lifestyle together, get that validation that you're doing something that's awesome and different and unique, but you don't even have the career to support that sort of lifestyle yet. And you don't have the skills to support that sort of lifestyle yet. You don't have the network or the client base, any of that stuff in place to do the things you need to do to be able to have that sort of lifestyle. So why make it harder for yourself to try to travel with that sort of lifestyle and that sort of dream that you may have, which is cool. I'm sure it can be a great way to do it if you already have it there, but that's just going to hold you back from really hustling that shit out that you need to do to get those things done and get those things put into place. Yeah, exactly. Because in the, I mean, I know that your, your podcast partner, great podcast, by the way, oh, thanks. Um, six figure home studio podcast. Um, I know that your partner has a whole system of how he does things through oh the God, internet. Yeah. And, and yes, you could, you know, if you figure that out, Sure, go to Thailand and get your clients that way. But like that takes a long time to get established with. You have to really learn how to do that. And it's the same thing we were saying. It's like, yes, okay, so if you build the infrastructure and you build your skills, then yes, you can definitely do this. But if you're already worried about that before mixing, you've got your mind focused on the wrong thing because there's a lot of stuff that you've got to do, in my opinion, in person when you're first hustling for a career, like when you're first trying to go to shows to meet bands, like first networking, first doing all that stuff, you can't be halfway across the world for that. Nope. You got you got to be present. 
Um, you have to learn how to work with clients, uh, oftentimes in the same room. It, I just, uh, I just think that there's so much stuff you have to do, um, it, that requires being physically present that it's, it's too early. Well, it's like, so, okay, for everyone starting out their careers, you have to be able to just crush anything you do. Anything you do, you have to be amazing at it and make your clients so damn happy that they will come back to you time and time and time and time again for the rest of your damn life. Even if you're in Thailand. Even if you're in Thailand, great. But if you're somewhere where you your focus is not your career, your focus is the lifestyle that you want to live, which is great if you want to do that, but you're not going to be able to focus on living this extraordinary lifestyle abroad while at the same time trying to build this career that you have a dream and passion to do. So you've got to pick one or the other. In my opinion, I'd rather build the career, build the the uh, the the rabid, I hate to say fan base, but any of your customers who who love you, you know, your thousand true fans is that one, is it, I forget the guy's name who, who wrote that big, big article that mm-hmm. a lot of people were a thousand true fans, getting those people that love you that are going to come back to you time and time and time and time again, anytime they need your services. That is what I would rather focus on first. And that will allow me to do the things that I did earlier this year, which was travel for six weeks, you know, un- uninterrupted where I only, you know, I only worked 30 minutes for that trip. And that wasn't the, the point of the trip wasn't to do some extraordinary, you know, live abroad and, and work type thing. It was to actually have a vacation and actually get a break and, and re reassess my life and figure out, you know, what, where I wanted to go from that point on. Joel did that too. He does that once a year. He went to Russia for, uh, what, two months? Yeah, Um, that's awesome. I feel like also a lot of people who haven't traveled are, are take, they're taking a lot on in their minds in the realm of fantasy about whether or not they really want to move to like a third world country or something like that. Like, why don't you try it for a month and see if you actually want to leave, um, the confines of comfort. Uh, I find that most people just need a break. They just want to go do something cool for a few weeks and then come back to real life. Yeah, um, I, I a thousand percent agree with that. And I, I, it's the same thing as whenever I'm talking to, you know, a new musician. Like when I record, when I, I don't record anymore, I just do mixing and mastering. But when I was still recording bands and I had bands come in the studio, their number one goal, every single person was they wanted to tour full time. They wanted to get signed and that was the life they wanted to live. And anyone who has ever toured, while it's fun, it has its ups and downs, you're going to have, it's work. It's fucking work. It's not just some cake cakewalk. It's not some, it's not what you make it out to be when you're a brand new band. There's a lot of bullshit that comes with that. And I encourage people, yeah, do your tours, do all that. But that may not be where you want to spend the rest of your life. And it, and it very well could be. But for a lot of people, that's not the life that they necessarily want to live when you realize, holy shit, I can't really have a a very healthy family life or a relationship, or I lose touch with my friends while I'm gone. And, you know, and all the arguments that happen on tour, it's just one of those things that until you get yourself in that position, you may not realize that that's not what you want to do for the rest of your life. Much like traveling after six weeks, I was ready to come home. Like I had kind of unplugged a little too far to be honest. And I don't know if I would do a trip that long again, because it took six weeks is a long time. It took so long to build my momentum back up that I lost, that I lost while traveling. Like it, when I got home, it was another probably three to four weeks before I felt like I was anywhere near the same level of productivity than when I left because I just had no desire to work. And it was honestly something that kind of scared me. I was like, did I just lose my passion for for work you know, while traveling? And while it was very refreshing, it was definitely a wake-up call for being being cognizant of that sort of thing, being able to happen where you leave for too long, you know, you kind of lose that drive and that stuff you had going before you left. So you know, there's some, there's some advice from an old man to the young guys. Well, at what point in your trip did you start to feel like this has gone on too long? Well, I don't want to, <laughs> maybe after or, my, maybe after my or, seventh dive down in Kotal where I was hundred <laughs> feet underwater. No, like it, it, there was no point in the trip where I was like, this is too oh, it was much. just when you got back. It was when I got back and I just hadn't, I hadn't gotten any work done. And, and of course, like I, I was probably a year, year and a half into a relationship for that trip. And she, my girlfriend wasn't on that trip. So it was like trying to maintain any sort of healthy relationship for six weeks while gone. That was a struggle too. So, um, you know, there, there's pros and cons to travel like that, but the cons are definitely losing touch with what's going on back home, especially in your business life. Yeah. I, um, I mean, even traveling stateside, that's something that can go wrong. Um, I think that this is a problem that up and coming uh, 
engineers or musicians or really probably any creative person has is that they're focused on the wrong things. Like, for instance, I think one thing that guitar players focus too much on is uh, what kind of amp somebody's playing rather than focusing on uh, not getting picking the like right, a bitch. <laughs> yes, exactly. I was about to say getting the right hand yeah. uh, to Hetfield levels or whatever. Yeah. They're worried about does the dude play a Kemper or an Axe Effects or the latest PV thing. And it's like, that's not what makes a difference. Like the two hours a night or three hours a night that you're spending online worried about that stuff, fantasizing about your gear that's two or three hours a night that you're not putting in towards what actually matters, which is how well you play. Because if you play really, really well and someone notices you, then you'll get that gear for free or at a discount and you don't need to worry about buying it. Preach to um, that. So it, I kind of feel like it's probably the same in photography. It's probably, it's probably a similar thing, just a human trait to put the fantasy before the reality of what you got to do to get to the goal. I will say maybe with photography and videography, it makes a little more sense to travel because you'll get, you know, your your work is out in the world versus true, true. audio where, you know, you kind of have to be in a cave. No, but, but I'm sure there's an equivalent. Yeah. Like maybe like I need a $20,000 camera <laughs> yeah, 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 before for sure. I can take pictures as good as no, I, I spent, ex-photographer. Okay, uh, so going back to photography and videography, I spent way too long researching for a travel, pocketable travel camera that was great for photos and for videos. And I probably spent 40 hours researching this shit. It was so dumb. It was the dumbest thing I've, I've probably ever spent my time on in my life was spending 40 to 50 hours researching cameras for a six-week trip. When you look at the value of my dollars per hour that I earn in the studio, like it's, a, it's an idiotic thing to spend that much time on something. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, I could have picked six other cameras and it would have been the exact same results because I am an absolute amateur when it comes to photography and videography. And if you look at some of the results that like professionals can get from this pocketable travel camera that I got, you know, they, they could get infinitely better results than I could with even the highest end gear. So again, it's up to the user. It's up to the ability. It's up to the, what you know and how you use it more than the gear you use. And that'll be the, until the day you die, that's the way it's going to be, no matter what anyone ever tries to lie to you about. So that brings up a question that I've always wanted to ask you. No. Uh, something that I've, uh, no. <laughs> no, go for it. I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed <laughs> that the answer is no. Um, no. Uh, so you have a lot of students now um, mm-hmm. through your Profitable Producer Project or From Shit to Gold mm-hmm. or people who follow your blogs. A lot of people who you've got a good size following and I'm sure kind of like we have at URM, There's it spans the range of people who live by the shit and get tons of results to people who you know, just aren't getting the same kind of results because they don't really apply themselves. Um, what do you wish uh, your What do you wish that your students did? Like, if you had like a perfect scenario where it was like, I wish my students did X with my materials. Like, what would that look like? What's like your dream scenario? A lot of different scenarios around this. This is what I I stay up at night thinking about all the time. Is like how to get people to do more. Well, one of the big things is the mindset behind this, this simple, two simple phrases. And this is what separates the guys that I see that are absolutely crushing it in either my mixing course from shit to gold or the beta program that I just did with my students where we went through a week boot camp, essentially like a business boot camp. Um, it's the, the two different mindsets. The mindset number one, which is I can't. And that's usually followed by I can't because insert excuse here. And the other kind of mindset, which is, how can I? And, and they, they see a problem and they think, how can I get past that? Or how can I work around that? Versus the unsuccessful student or the unsuccessful person, which is, I see a problem, so I can't. And I've seen this again and again and again. And I say, like for, for Shit to Gold, I have about, I think I have a 30-day refund period. And I just had a refund request today. It's, I mean, my refund request is so damn low. Like if you look at the industry standard for online courses like ours, I've seen people claim that it's normal to have a 20% refund rate. That sounds ex- wow. insane to me. Mine's we, a- we had we had like three refunds for speed mixing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had about a, I have about a 2%, 2% refund rate or refund request rate. And I, of course, if it's in 30 days, I give them no, no questions asked. I give them the refund. But I had one come in today and it was a guy talking about how he's gone through some of the videos. You know, what I do in my mixes is just way off from what he does. And he just can't see how he can make it use of it. So he's asking for a refund. Like that kind of shit makes me so angry. 
and it's not because of the refund request. I that I don't care. That's fine. It's the 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 mindset that I'm just giving up because it's different than what I'm used to, and I don't see how I can get. Isn't past that, that the idea that in order <laughs> yeah. to get better, you need to yeah. take on stuff like, that's dude, different than what you're used if to? If your mixes suck ass, like at least consider trying the way I'm teaching you and see if you don't get results like the hundreds of other students who have gone through. Like, yeah, okay. If that's, if that's the way you're going to be, like, I will be happy to, re- I'm not going to be happy. I'm going to be pissed about it because you just gave up, but I'm going to, I'll refund your money and you can move on. And, and if something else you find that helps you better than my course, awesome, fine, great. But if you're, if your mindset is always, uh, you know, that's just not the way I like to do things, or that's just not the way I can I don't know. That just seems a little weird. Then I guess I can't do it. Like if that's your mindset, man, I Godspeed. Good luck. I just don't, I don't want you to be a part of my like clan because, <laughs> because I've seen that. Like I had for this eight week boot, boot camp thing, this business thing, it's called the, it was called the profitable producer project, but that was just a one time one and done thing. We're completely mm-hmm. revamping it and relaunching it later this year. But it's, uh, I had 50 this year, 2017. Yeah, it's going to be nice right now. It's looking for early December. So cool. And maybe again in January, we'll see what happens. We're, we're still, we're wrapping up the video editing now. We're trying to figure out all the launch plans, but um, awesome. I had this is the first place I've actually talked about it, but exclusively on URM, get the, yeah. get the, get the voice guy, the super hype voice guy. That's just over the top. Get him to, I'm going to get him to <laughs> announce it. <laughs> exclusively announced here. So Dude, he's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I've him. got my own hype voice guy for our <laughs> podcast. Got a super deep voice, like does uh sports, sports uh, trailers and stuff. Anyways, you gotta have a good announcer. Yep. So back to uh, this, we had 50 students go through eight weeks and it was really, really f- interesting to see the types of attitude and mindset people had and how that uh, turned into results because, you know, we had people that were constantly making excuses. We had guys who, you know, would make an excuse and then ghosted. And then we had guys who constantly overcame every single obstacle that they could possibly have. Um, one of the things we had was an accountability program. We had split them into teams and, you know, this was a live eight week course. So it was like three times a week, we're meeting up live online in like a group chat setting similar to like Google Hangouts, but it's through something called Zoom. And it was just more, you could fit more people in there. You get up to 50 people in a room. Everyone mm-hmm. can see each other and hear each other. And it was more fun that way. But the accountability program was, you know, every single week we had assigned them action items. Like they had homework to do each week and they had extra credit they could do. And if you didn't finish the homework, you got a strike for your team. And at the end of the eight weeks, if you had uh, the team with the least strikes and most extra credit, each member would win a $500 gift card to sweetwater.com. So it was like a cool little like carrot at the end of the stick over the eight weeks to keep you guys engaged for the eight weeks. And I would oh, say- Oh, and if you're the guy that holds the group back. Yep. So yeah, we use all sorts of- suck. We use all sorts of uh, commitment devices and accountability mechanisms to keep people engaged through the eight weeks. And we had a public accountability scoreboard. You could see each team, the strikes and extra credit week to week. And you could see every single individual member for each team what they had and had not turned in. So that alone was enough to keep people engaged. But what I noticed was we had, just to say the the winning team, they had 120 points. So like zero strikes, they got a perfect score, zero strikes, and they had 120 extra credit points for the eight weeks. Wow. (laughs) Between the seven of them, they just dominated. The difference between that team and the last place team that had like negative 20 points, like they had, just tons and tons of strikes and very little extra credit was a, like a hundred and I don't know, some ridiculous 120, 130, 140 point differential between those two teams, first and last place teams. And the difference that I saw was team Delta, which was the winning team. Um, every single person in that team had the mindset that was, it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter how we do it. We're going to get it done. We're going to make it happen. Even one guy who was like stranded in Canada with like no uh, access to a studio he literally got one of his guys from his team to like snail mail him something or do something out. I forget exactly what it was, the scenario, but it went out of his way to help his teammate out so they could keep their perfect record of zero strikes. And so it, was, it wasn't like, well, I guess I can't do my homework this week because I don't have, you know, I'm stranded here and I don't have the stuff that I need. He was like, how can I get this done? It was not, I can't, it was, well, here's this problem. So how can I overcome this? When you have the other team, which I think it was team Beta was the last place team. No surprise there. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's an appropriate. Yeah. Name. Yeah. Yeah. So they had, you know, early, early on one member who was just like, well, I'm on vacation, so I can't do the action items this week. So I'm going to take 
three strikes right then and there. And, you know, from that point on, setting the precedent for a bad score because of just circumstances where you could have worked around it if you really wanted it bad enough, that just dragged the team down from there on. From the entire eight weeks on, they never had a chance because early in the course, they fucked up because one person had that bad attitude and it just circulated through the entire team. And from that point on, it was just a, it was a losing proposition for that team. So I, I really, really more than anything, hate to see that sort of mindset in any of my students or any people that I work with. And that kind of shit pisses me off to no ends. And I will do anything I can in any of the programs that I want run to keep that kind of stuff from, from manifesting and spreading to other students. I remember, and I think that that's a brilliant way to do it. I remember, uh, in like 2005 or something, I think Slipknot released a DVD where they talked to all the members. And I always thought that that band was fascinating because the same way that, you know, Tony Robbins or Bill Gates are fascinating to me. I always thought Slipknot was fascinating because they're so much bigger than almost every other band in that genre and still to this day. So uh, they were talking about themselves and what they kept on saying in their individual interviews was that, no one in that band wanted to be that guy who would cause the team to fall behind. So they each had like work they had to do for the band since the beginning of the band. And everyone has always just crushed their work. And being that guy w- was like the ultimate shame in, uh, in their little world. And it makes sense. That's, that's what you see in winning teams. Guys don't want to let their, uh, their brothers down. Basically, dude, that's and so we'll so true and so powerful. Lengths. It's true, though. Um, you see it time after time, all the way to the very top of the mountain. So, I mean, uh, that's I think that's a brilliant way to bring it out. And I feel bad for like a guy who gets stuck on a bad team, but uh, shit, you know, that's the <laughs> you can't always choose the cards you're dealt. Yeah, and there's <laughs> things I can do to make it more. Um, more engaging and keep, keep one bad apple from ruining the whole bunch. And there's things I'm going to redo to revamp that whole accountability program to keep it less likely from one member tainting the whole team. But if you have to look at it, like think about, you know, you're, you can't pick your team always. So if you're in a band, you don't always get to, of course, you're going to kind of choose your members, but at the same time, you know, what if you pick one bad one and you have all of a sudden you have one bad apple in your band and it's really hard to get rid of that one bad apple. Well, you have to figure out some way to make it work no matter what. It's just like a, I'm not going to say like That's kind of what killed my band. We had a, a bad apple. We had two bad apples. Mm-hmm. And even after we got rid of them, the damage that they had done prevented us from, like it had just set a cycle in motion that even two albums and years later, um, we couldn't get out of the, the shit that they created for us at the beginning. So I know exactly how that works. So you pick the wrong person and you're fucked. Yeah. And, you know, and again, just like if you are happen to be in a bad team, say you say you were on team beta or you're a band, you're in a band and you do feel like you have no control over that one bad apple you have in the band. Well, the problem with that is you can't just say, well, I guess I can't change that. It's more like, how can I make it work even though this is not ideal? <laughs> and it, it all comes back to that same mindset of not I can't, but how can I? And, and I don't know, there's a million ways that applies to your career and the people you hire and the people you surround yourself with and the people around you and the teams you're on and the teams you get assigned to and the teams you get to pick for yourself. Like it, it all applies across the board, but you know, at the end of the day, you don't always have control and you have to make it work somehow. And the team that made it work was team Delta and they wrecked even the second place team wasn't close to them. It's interesting to me that, um, did, Team Delta have a particular leader? Yeah, every team had a team leader. Okay. Yep. Um, because I'm thinking that usually if there's a good leader and like a good culture in a group, lots of times people who wouldn't naturally be uh, great team players just rise to the challenge. Yeah. If they're in a good situation, kind of you describe the opposite to where it, too many bad apples or too many fuck ups towards the beginning will spread like a cancer to everybody else and then discourage them. I bet you that there's lots of people who could go either way, um, depending on the situation they land in. Yeah. And I don't think that's very good. I think that you should put your fucking foot in the sand and decide like you're going to be the proactive person. But uh, I don't think that everybody's naturally like that. I wish they were though. Yeah. And it's a skill you can kind of develop as far as that grit. They said there's a Ted talk you should watch if you haven't already. Just go 
Google grit, G-R-I-T, and TED Talk, and you'll find it. But I, I've seen it, yeah. actually. I and love it. it. The, basically, the whole talk is essentially saying, what is the number one determining factor for successful people? It's not necessarily your IQ. It's not necessarily your socioeconomic background. It's not necessarily you know this or that or whatever you happen to think it is. The number one determining factor for success is grit. And then she goes on to kind of explain what that means. But the gist of it is persevering despite whatever circumstances are thrown your way and sticking to it until it's done. If you have, a, if you started a job, get it done. If you started something, finish it. If you set out to achieve a goal, you get that shit done no matter what happens. And the people that I've seen that are successful, the people that I've worked with, the people that I hire have that mentality. And the ones that I've let go are the ones that I've parted ways with or the ones that I've separated myself from in social circles are the ones that do give up when times get tough or the ones that do uh, let things slide through the cracks when they could have gotten it done. And I won't say that I've never been guilty of this myself because I've definitely struggled with grit in the past, but it's something that I've constantly been working on to when I start something, finish it. When I want to get something done, fucking do it. Don't let excuses happen. And uh, yeah, so that's that's a TED Talk worth watching for sure and should be in the show notes if you actually have show notes. I don't know if you do or not. Uh, yeah, we do. Um, the, the link will be in the show notes. Cool. You know, grit is also something I've struggled with. Um, just to echo your point that it is something you can learn. It's not something you're born with. I mean, maybe some people are born with it, but you don't, it's definitely learnable. And I know that when I was a lot younger in my life, like uh, as a kid, I would draw a lot and I would start lots of art projects and abandon them to lose interest. And that was kind of like a theme in my life for years, starting stuff and just losing interest and moving on. It was never that I was scared that I couldn't, I would just lose interest. And it, it, I really worked hard and have worked hard to uh, not let that happen anymore, not to hit that Seth Godin dip yep. and uh, and just let it peter out. And uh, ever since I really started paying attention to that in like the past 10 years, I'd say, and my the success in my life has just gotten, uh, there's been more of it every single year. And I think that there is definitely a mindset involved with, uh, with actually following through with stuff. It's like, I have to put it, at the front center of my mind, kind of like right here mm. in my forehead, like the goal or we'll do this. And I just can't let anything get in the way. Like it's almost to the point of being obsessive about it, but it gets shit done. And I kind of feel like uh, if anyone has a hard time with getting things done, they're just not focusing on it hard enough. Like they don't care enough. They're not. They're not putting it at the forefront. I would. Like it I would be. also kind of want to chime in and talk about my biggest struggle when it comes to not getting shit done. And it's not necessarily the focus problem. It's the perfectionist problem. And so mm -hmm. I have struggled and, and think everything's so slow that I do. And something I've struggled with for the longest time is if you were to look at the sixfigurehomestudio.com, which has been my main focus for the past, sorry, I, mean, I still do audio work, but it's been my main focus is if you were to look at it between maybe April and August of this year, it looked like I basically died. I hadn't posted anything on social media. I hadn't posted anything on the blog. I hadn't announced yeah, we anything. We were actually wondering if you had like bailed. Yeah. On the thing. I, I kind of thought you'd be back, but I wasn't sure. Well, here's the issue with that is I, I struggle with perfectionism with, with a lot of different things. So this, that entire period, I was working on that profitable producer project beta program because every single little thing had to be done before I could ever talk about it, which is ridiculous. And I, so I still struggle with the perfectionism thing today, which is basically procrastination by perfectionism. And so it can be that, yes, it's at the forefront of my mind. Yes, I'm focused on accomplishing it. And, and I've experienced similar things in the audio world as well, which we can talk about that if you want. But it's just this unfortunate thing that I do that I've definitely been working on the past few months with, I have a business coach, uh, getting past that perfectionist where it's like, just fuck it, get it done, get it out there and start failing faster so you can learn from your mistakes sooner. So that's kind of been my motto now is just fuck it, get it out fail fast, learn from your mistakes, move on and make it better. Because here's, here's the thing that, here's the analogy I, I, I've taught my students from learning my own mistakes and something I've noticed in my own life when uh, comparing, which I never suggest anyone ever compare yourself, but it's occasionally it's good to gauge yourself against other people who are in a similar position just to see how you stand and where you could be if you weren't a perfectionist asshole like me. But one of the things I look <laughs> at is 
if you look at two people, you take two people, and I'm using myself and one other person in my head right now in this example, you take two people, you have one person who is an absolute perfectionist. They take their sweet ass time to make everything perfect and they release something and it may be, and so put yourself in this position. It could be you with your music. It could be you with a mix you're doing. It could be you with whatever you're trying to pursue right now. And you put that out and it takes for fucking ever to do it, but you put it out, you get great response from everyone. That's a win, right? Well, then you compare yourself to this other person. This other person just shout out something quickly. Uh, it got a decent reception. It was not nearly as good as what you did. It was not nearly as, uh, for, for lack of a better word, successful than what you did but they got it out faster than you and they got feedback faster than you. And then they went into the iteration process and refi- revised it and refined it faster than you and then put out another version or another mix or another product or whatever it happened to be. And they just had that feedback cycle infinitely faster. So at the end of a year or end of two years, someone like me, who's a perfectionist, gets way less feedback over time and many less chances to revise because you're taking so damn long to put things out into the world when this other person is 10 times further ahead than you in life or business or whatever, if it's a band dude or whatever, uh, they're infinitely further ahead because they failed fast. They learned from the mistakes. They, they pivoted or they adjusted from those things that they learned and they did it again and they failed fast and they learned from their mistakes and they did it again and again and again. And they're 10 times further ahead of you because they failed 10 times more than you. And they had 10 times as many lessons and they were able to implement 10 times as many improvements to what they're doing compared to you, the person who does three things a year because you're so damn slow. So take that for what it's worth, but that's something that I've really struggled with. And I know a lot of people can probably resonate with that. And oh, yeah. it's another form of procrastination or another form of, um, Maybe not the grit conversation we were just having, but it is something that I think a lot of people, um, you know, trying to get past that that perfectionist it's mindset is natural, so hard. It's very natural, man. Yeah, it's very natural. Um, we, uh, you and we're lucky that it's not just one person because if it was, I feel like we might get into those traps because we have at times. But then there's always one guy who'll be like, "Yo, we're releasing this, <laughs> and if there's a problem, we're going to fix it." But it, we're not like because we've had certain things that like uh, just took forever to get done because we're trying to make it perfect. And then a year goes by and you're like, why is this not out yet? <laughs> like, what the fuck? Why yeah. is this not out? Like, I'm actually angry with you guys right now. Why is this not out? And uh, and then we don't let that happen anymore. Obviously, it's got to be incredible. Like, we have to hit a certain level with our products or services now that so obviously we're not going to just rush something out but um we will we will put stuff out understanding that we might get some negative feedback immediately and have to fix something and that's totally cool and we go into it knowing that and uh that's helped us out tremendously and i know exactly what you're talking about it's i've had to deal with that in audio with like endless mix notes from people where it's like, look, you're not making the mix any better. You're just making it different at this point. And uh, you're wasting time and life. And why, why, why? But it's just so natural because I mean, it's what you're working on. It's your baby. It's like those of us who are creative, it's very hard to distance yourself from what you do. Um, Even if you are teaching a course, I, I think that, you know, if you're a creative person and you have created art in the past, even if you're just making a course for people, it's still something that's a part of you that uh, is a creative part of you and it represents you and you're the person teaching it and it's you. So, of course, you want it to be perfect. It makes perfect sense. So one thing, but, uh, one thing that I've found that I think helps a lot when it comes to the perfectionist issue or the perfectionism issue and, and I'll go ahead and say like a lot of the lessons I learn in business are in the sixfigurehomestudio.com, that world. And it's not necessarily in my studio, but it doesn't mean you can't translate that to the studio world. So anything I talk about here related to my blog or, or any of the videos I'm doing or any of the courses I'm doing, you can still take those, those lessons and convert them to whatever you're pursuing in your audio world. Because again, business is very, very universal with a lot of the principles and struggles and things like that. So I'm going to try to talk about the things I learned, but I also pivot it in the way that in the audio world, world that makes it work. But talking about the, the getting past the perfectionism thing, biggest thing that I've seen that works is accountability. If you have no mm-hmm. accountability in your life, you will sit and tweak shit until the day you die and you'll never release it. So 
my accountability is my business coach. Now, I, I don't know if that's for everybody because I pay her probably way too much money <laughs> for for the accountability. And of course, she gives me guidance and we do strategy and all that sorts of stuff as well. It's not just accountability. But even if you just have people that you're telling them, hey, I'm, re- I'm releasing this on this specific day and they hold you to it, that can help a lot. But I will say one thing that I've gotten my students into so the 50 students, uh, they're part of the dream team is what I call them. The dream team is the 50 students that were in the Profitable Producer Project. The dream team, one of the things I left them on was splitting them into mastermind groups. So I have my own mastermind group. Every Friday morning we meet, it's about 10 audio guys. They do, uh, they're podcast guys, blog guys, course guys, you know, they're different websites. Uh, we got audioissues.com, Bjorkvin uh, from there is on. Uh, you have Rockstar, a Recording Studio Rockstars uh, podcast, uh, Working Class Audio podcast. All of these guys, uh, Home Studio Corner, all these guys meet, meet on Friday mornings and we have a mastermind session where we you know, talk through our struggles and pain points and we keep each other accountable and we have hot seat is- things where we all you know, kind of help, each- help one member out with an issue. Well, I put all my students into their own mastermind groups where weekly they're meeting up with each other and holding each other accountable. And so if you don't have something like that in your life, fine. And especially if you're a nail the mix uh, student, it's super easy. You already have a, this massive community around you. Just find five. We'll get together in real life right, already. In real life. So my meetup is online. You can just do it on Google Hangouts or you can do Skype group chat. You can do Zoom if you want to pay for that, which I do. There's a whole bunch of solutions and you can, of course, do in person, but find five or six or seven people that you really resonate with that are on the same path as you, that are around the same level as you and find a group. Don't let any bad apples in, but find a group that you can use to build each other up. It's really, really powerful to have a a weekly meeting where you are talking about what you will be doing this week, what you have done the last week and have, have it written down on record so every single person can be held accountable for what they say they're going to do. That kind of shit will get rid of that perfectionism Perfectionism so fast. So I, I'm glad you said that because I was about to ask you what you've done to combat it. Yep, my um, accountability group and then my business coach. And then um, also just kind of uh, get, I w- again, I hate comparisons and I'm the kind of person I stay off social media just for that fact. I, I don't like the comparison lifestyle type thing, but um, I still will, I, I'm not going to say compare, but gauge myself to someone who started out in a similar position as me and kind of see what they're doing. And that kind of keeps me, um, keeps me, keeps the top of mind of like how quickly they're moving in certain things they're working on and how much faster I need to get shit out. Because at the end of the day, it's not necessarily the one who does the perfect thing that's, that's going to win is the one. And again, I'm not, I, I don't like to use scarcity mindset, things like you win or you lose. If he wins, I can't win, but it's more like, He's going to be more successful in what he is trying to achieve if I do not, um, if I'm not willing to fail fast. So kind of being able to, being aware of what they're doing. And, and I guess if you want to call a comparison, go for it. But yeah, those those three things have been huge for this year. So if you've noticed anything that I've been doing on online or on the blog or any of this, you've probably seen I've kind of ramped up things over the past uh, couple months on social media, on my mailing list. I've been mailing a little bit more. I'll be ramping that up a little bit more. I launched the podcast. I do that weekly Q&A show, Q&A with Brian's Brain on Facebook, where I just put a stupid brain, <laughs> brain beanie on my head and uh, and answer a question. And uh, I just, I have fun with that. So I'm trying to ramp things up. And that's part of it is just getting shit out there faster and then learning from my mistakes as I go. Well, I, it's not, you know, I don't even think it so much as comparison. It's just it's good to know what the standard is for yeah. what the market's expecting. If if uh, you're not paying attention, then you might put out something that would have been cool three oh, years yeah, ago. Oh, yeah, you'll get left in the dust because just yeah. look at how much audio has changed. When I started in 2009, no, you could use Slate samples and you're fucking cutting edge, right? And so my first, my first uh, drum sample purchase was Slate drums like 1.0. They meld it in a manila envelope on a CD. <laughs> and they had a note in there that's just like, hey, if you share this, we'll sue you. And, you know, that was... That's what the note said? Yeah, it was like, they, well, it was a lie, I'm sure. But it was like, they basically said, hey, if you... Every single one of these samples has your unique identifying code inside of it. So if you share it, we'll know it was you and we'll sue you. Um, it was worded something like, I need to find it. It's in a drawer somewhere at my studio. But uh, yeah, that was the first experience. And, and those were cutting edge, you know, back when Joey Sturtis had used... Uh, had popularized kick 10 and, and snare 12a and mm-hmm. <laughs> uh <laughs> and you could get away with that for a while but then 
you know, if you do kick 10 now and people are still doing that and snare 12A now and people are still doing that, I can guarantee you that. Uh, that's what I call oh, they definitely are. Yeah, I can I, confirm. I call those basic bitch drums. Those are common drum samples every single person has been hearing for the last eight years. And so you have to be comparing, at least in some way, uh, against the rest of the world to see what they're doing so you can stay on top of what is new and and uh, and cutting edge in this world. Because if, if you try to do what I did nine years ago, you're going to fail f- flat on your face. So you have to be staying on top of that. And it's the same in any industry. So when it comes to like the online education world, like Nail the Mix or the Six Figure Home Studio or any of the other awesome resources out there, if you're not staying on top of what is happening, like you're going to get left behind because things have changed massively even in the two years I've been doing this since I mean, I launched from shit to gold late 2015. And, you know, things have shifted drastically as far as what yes, what is acceptable have. now. Yeah. It's funny. I think about the, what I was offering in my creative live courses back then, because mm-hmm. 2015 was when we just had our podcast and, uh, we didn't launch Nail the Mix until the very end of 2015. Back then, um, I basically had already done like eight creative lives. And when I started doing creative live in 2013, it was it was pretty awesome. Um, it was a new thing to go through and like give people quality information about how metal records are made. Um, and so that alone was good enough. But if you just if I just did that now, like that wouldn't, that wouldn't fly. It just wouldn't fly. Nope. We would not have a, a business. We have a higher, higher threshold or a higher standard that people are held to now, which is great. I love it. I think what we're doing now is kind of raising the bar for everyone. And I think mm-hmm. all across the board, it's better for all the students involved. Oh yeah, absolutely. We, uh, we're always worried about raising the bar and it's just making sure that our students are getting the most that they possibly can out of it. And so we're constantly asking ourselves, what is it that we can do better? How can we get the point across better? What is it about our service that's lacking? Like, what is it that people really need to be totally engaged with this and get the maximum results out of it? And that changes. That's a living, fluid thing. Um, Like we keep saying, like what people wanted at the end of 2015 is not what they want at the end of 2017. And it's not what they're going to want at the end of 2018 either. Um, So it's very much not a set and forget type of thing. And back to our original conversation. So, okay, uh, we're, we're all like internet entrepreneurs and stuff, but with the rate that this evolves at and the amount of stuff that you have to do, I can't imagine going to Thailand and running this business off of a laptop, for instance. <laughs> Good luck, like man. Even, because we're pretty successful now and we're doing great and we still got a long way to go, but we're doing well. Like I could I could do that if I wanted to. Like if I wanted to, I could afford well, it. Well, let's, let's go back but to this. Let's, let's, real quick. I wouldn't be able to do it. Yeah, let's go back to that conversation we started talking about before we started this podcast because I, I want to talk about something and we were talking about you're moving. You're about to move. Your, your house is packed up. That's why your mic is so damn echoey and and shit. Yes. Yeah. And so, yes. <laughs> and, and so you're just moving down the hall, but still it's a pain in the ass to move that stuff. And you're talking about how, no, I'm just, you're hiring movers, of course. And, and I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm never moving for the rest of my life by myself. I'm going to hire someone to do it for me. And we started talking about the outsourcing situation. And I wanted to talk about that. Uh, if you, if we have time, because yeah. I think that's a, that's a conversation that I think needs to be had for, you know, it's kind of advanced. And, and one of the things that I did was when I was talking about curriculum for the the business course I'm teaching is, you know, what do you want in it? What do you not want in it? I had people look over an outline. I had maybe 600 people give me feedback on that. And overwhelmingly, one of the topics they didn't want to hear about was um, outsourcing or hiring people because it just seems so far and above where they thought they could be. But I want to kind of shift people's mindset around that. And the only way I know how to do that is to kind of explain what I've done with outsourcing in my own mixing world and see if that kind of whets your appetite with you know, your mindset around hiring help in your studio. So for those of you who are making $0, you know, at least have this in the back of your mind when you do start making money with your studio so you can start ramping up things. Because here's here's what happens. As you start to ramp up your business and you start getting more and more clients, you're going to get more and more busy. And you're going to have less and less time to actually work on your business, improving systems, you know, getting things more efficient, finding more clients, making your clients happy. Like all the things it takes to run a business is going to get more and more and more and more difficult. The more popular you get, the more busy you get. And so you have to be 
battling that constantly as you're growing as a studio. And so one of the things, talking about that hiring situation is, as you're doing things, you have to be aware of two things. One is called your base hourly worth. That is the minimum amount of money you should be working for at any given time. And anything below that money or anything below that number should be outsourced or removed or automated or delegated. And that's the first thing. And the second thing is, you know, where can you be um, systemizing certain processes, like taking non-creative tasks? And I'm using really business jargony words. So I really forgive me on this because I have this thing called the curse of knowledge, which you know what that is, EL, where Mm -hmm. it's hard to teach something that you already know because people don't know certain things that you know. Um, sorry if that, I didn't sound cocky, did I? I didn't mean it to be. No, no, kinda... no. That's that. I was going to say that's the challenge of of trying to teach a technical subject yeah. to an audience and making it engaging, and why so many people are bad at it. Yeah, but, uh, I also struggle with it, but I'll try to I'll try to keep it like easy to follow. Um, but if I if, feel free to stop me if you think there's some term or something I say that students or listeners mm-hmm. may not know, uh, because I know I know a lot of people. They honestly like they don't want to think about business at all. It's like the last thing they just want to create music, and that's and that's great. And that was one of my students, Chris Bowman. That was his it was his stories. He didn't want to think anything about business, but he knew he needed to do that stuff in order to ramp up the actual creation of art in his studio. So those two things: base hourly worth, and then what are the non-creative tasks you can get rid of. So once you know your base hourly worth, which if you're charging three hundred dollars a day for eight hour day, that's something like thirty five dollars an hour, I think, or give or take. And so. Basically, anything below that number that you can outsource to someone else should be off your damn plate. And so that's the mentality that I took in my own mixing business. I took every single aspect that was a non-creative task. That is getting the files from the client, organizing and labeling the files, getting it into my DAW, setting up my session, getting my template set up, getting the basic automation done. You know, like whenever a guitar lead comes in, that the, maybe the rhythm guitars get cut down or maybe when two vocals overlap, maybe ducking the first vocal so the second vocal could come in. You know, things like that that are not creative. It's just like, when this happens, do that. If this, then that. So I basically built this step-by-step checklist. It took me six hours to do. I built a step-by-step checklist that my mix prep assistant can follow from start to finish with every single project that I get in the door for mixing. And there's even a video. I made a, an hour and a half long video detailing every single part of my mix prep process took me six hours to do. And that has saved me hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours since creating. And because of that, instead of let's just use easy math and the numbers are not fully accurate here, but it's pretty damn close. Instead of say about 30 hours for an EP for me to mix it, um, you know, say I I get paid three grand for an EP uh, and it takes me 30 hours to mix that. That's about $100 an hour, which is fine. It's, that's really good money. And no one will ever, ever, ever turn that down. But again, if you were to dissect every single step of the mixing process and you looked at every single step in the process, how much of that can you get rid of for under $100 an hour? How much can you outsource to somebody for less than $100 an hour? I would say the vast majority of that process, all that stuff I just mentioned, all of the mix prep, all of the labeling, all of the back and forth of the band, all of getting those files they forgot to send, you know, dealing with a producer who's taking forever, like all that shit. I don't want to deal with any of that. So by outsourcing that, I'm able to cut my mix time to only the creative shit that only I can do. The only, only the shit that makes a mix sound like a Brian Hood mix. That's the only thing I do on my mixes now. And that cuts down my mix time to about an hour a song. And I don't know how much of this you covered possibly in your speed mixing course. You may have already covered a ton of this. We definitely talked about that was a big part of the course was the economics of hiring a mix assistant, yeah. how to go about it, how to, how we gave them spreadsheets and everything yeah. and, and how we outlined exactly why you should do this, how it's going to make you money, yep. why it's going to make you money. And, uh, yeah, well, I've it's, seen, it's huge. I've seen a lot of awesome feedback from people from that. And I had some of my own students or some of my own uh, subscribers and listeners go through that. So if, you, if that's something you're interested in and you haven't done it yet, I would recommend going to do it. But Yeah, we'll re-release it, I think, at the end of 2018. Cool. So with this, but my, my point is I was able to cut down my mix time to about an hour a song. For that same six-song EP that I was getting $3,000 to pay, or getting paid $3,000 to do, it would take me six hours to do it. But I'm paying a mix prep assistant $30 an hour to do all of the mix prep for me. Now, $30 an hour is pretty good pay. I know a lot of people that would work for that in the studio. And he's getting paid a flat 30 bucks an hour. So 
my outsource fee to him is about $750 for that $3,000 EP. And if you do the math, that's $2,250 left for me. And I'm working six hours for that. That bring that comes out to about $450 an hour. And my math might be a little bit off there. So I'm going from 30 hours for a six song EP for a hundred bucks an hour to six, do, six hours for $450 an hour. But I'm quote unquote only making you know, $2,250 out of the $3,000. So would you rather, you know, as someone who is mixing or especially as you get more professional, would you rather make only $2,250 on a mix, but spend six hours doing it or get the full $3,000, but spend the full three, 30 hours doing this? And that's the, that's the thing you have to get past. You have to be willing to give up a little bit of money to make more dollars per hour in your studio. And that way, all of the free time you just saved that 30 hours you can spend on other things in your life. That could be wasting it if you want. And nothing wrong with that. If that's what you want to do with it, uh, you're just not going to really push your business forward. What I do with that extra time and what I'm sure you do with your extra time when you start systemizing things, Yale, is I, I have, first of all, built systems in my business to make things more efficient. So that big checklist I built, I built a lot more of those to start getting rid of more of the non-creative tasks in running my business. So that's one thing. The second thing was actually building additional sources of income. So that's what has allowed me to make the From Shit to Gold course. If I didn't do this in my studio, I would have never had time to make a mixing course because I would have been too uh, balls deep, for lack of a better term, in my studio all day long with no time to actually do anything else. So I use that time wisely. I even built an entire extra six figure source of revenue from real estate on the side with that extra time spent. And I would have never again, been able to build that up through Airbnb, be able to build that up if I didn't have that extra time because I had systemized my other business stuff. So well, I can, I can tell you, I actually just hired a personal assistant um, dude, hell yeah. this week, this hell week, yeah. finally, I, I finally did it. And uh, I have had a studio assistant before and um, you know, for all the reasons that you just said, it made it possible for me to move on to the next phase of my life, which is now. But now things are so crazy with URM that I can't work on anything yeah. else. And I can't even do everything I need to do for URM. So well, there's a bunch of stuff, man, that I do for URM that I don't need to do. Like, I don't need to handle logistics. <laughs> I don't need to ha- I don't need to install fast tracks, stuff like that. Like, why? Like, I mean, sure, I, I know how to travel well, and uh, I make sure that that we always travel great, but I can easily train someone to know what to look for and uh, and make sure that we're always taken care of. So, yeah, I got an assistant, and this assistant is going to do every non-high-level thing that I do in my life. They're going to do all of it so that I can focus 100% of my energy on making URM better, working on my beard oil company, and hey, just getting some of my life back. Amen to uh, that. Yeah, that 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 right there and is a big one. That's one for me is like, okay, it sounds like maybe I'm like, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with like the whole hustle, hustle, hustle till you die type lifestyle. Although my like sign off on videos and emails is happy hustling. To me, like I consider that a full phrase, happy hustling, not, not, yes. you know what I'm saying? Like happy hustling to me is... You know, I work from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. At 5 p.m., I do something else. I play video games sometimes, or I go hang out with friends, or I spend time with my girlfriend. On the weekends, I don't fucking work. I watch football on Sundays. <laughs> I'll watch, you know, all day long, I'll have NFL Red Zone on on Sundays, and I just veg out. I will spend the whole day with my girlfriend on Saturdays. Like, I have a life outside of my business, and I want that for other people. And that doesn't mean you can't, you have to, you, you can't just dick around and that happen. You have to be able to, sacrifice a little bit on the short term to get to that level. But I want, I'm hoping people somewhere, even if it's just one guy in the entire audience listening right now, all four people, because that's how many people care about me. No, (laughs) no, like how many people are listening? If there's one person that sees this new like opportunity open up in front of them, that is like, okay, the studio is not necessarily the end game. The studio could just be a means to an end. It could be that your studio is something you build up in order to get to that next level. And you're constantly stair-stepping to new things. I've basically done that my whole life. I was in high school, I skipped college and I went toward a band. And I stair-stepped the band to start my studio. And I was able to u- leverage my band's name to start my studio up. 
And then I used my studio and built that up and used that income to invest in other areas like real estate and to build and, and to build out my my course and to now the six figure home studio. And now I'm using that to even further push into the real estate world because that's where money can be made. And and so like I'm hoping that somebody sees that you know you don't necessarily have to just hustle your ass off working for dollars for hours your entire life when there's a whole other world out there that you can kind of get opened up to you by using your studio. I don't want this to sound like some fucking get rich quick bullshit that you're like, start your studio and live on the beach and the rest of your life is happy. Like, no, I'll probably never retire and I and I don't plan to, but I, I do want people to see that there are a ton of options with what you can do out there. And by taking some of the non-creative tasks, hiring an assistant like Yale has done here with your, is it in person or is it a, a, a virtual assistant? Well, it's, Virtual, but I just found out that the person is in Atlanta and I live in Atlanta. Oh. <laughs> so there will be some, some in-person stuff yeah, too. Yeah, pick up my dry cleaning and shit. Um, <laughs> yeah, I need a person here. But yeah, taking somebody and, and leveraging their time and abilities to then free up more time in your life to do bigger and better things. Because if you're only making 20 bucks an hour right now, there's probably not a, there's a less things you can outsource than someone like, you know, me or you or, you know, anyone else that's, you know, at the level that we're at, we probably have more freedom to outsource things compared to someone who's making 20 bucks an hour in their studio. But there are still tasks that you can outsource for less than 20 bucks an hour. And when you hire someone, yeah, when you hire someone to do those tasks for less than 20 bucks an hour, you are then freed up to use that time in other areas where you're earning, hopefully your 20 bucks an hour and you're earn, hopefully earning a little bit on top of what you're hiring that workout for. So what I tell people is if you're making 20 bucks an hour, Hire out drum editing for 10 bucks an hour to some kid that's new at it. You've trained him up. You've given him a system to follow. So he follows your system. And if he follows your system from point A to point B, uh, he'll get it done. And again, I have a free YouTube tutorial for mix or for editing drums on YouTube that you can look up. It's in Pro Tools if you work on Pro Tools. But you can hire somebody and say you're getting, for that drum edit, you're getting a total of, on average, say, 20 bucks an hour, right? or even 15 bucks an hour, and you hire your guy out for 10 bucks an hour, you, you're making five bucks an hour for every hour that that guy works, plus you're making your 20 bucks an hour on the other projects you're now free to work on. And you do that enough times, you'll get your base hourly worth up and up and up, and that opens up more and more opportunities to start outsourcing work. Absolutely. Um, and I, I think something that you touched on earlier needs to be emphasized, which is that you do really need to be willing to take a little bit of a hit. So for instance... Um, and this is all relative. So yeah, you're right. If you only make 10, I mean, 20 an hour, uh, yeah, you might need to pay 15 or 10, but I'm going to be paying like well over a thousand dollars a month for this, um, closer to two. And you know, that's not nothing. I mean, to some people it might be nothing, but it's not nothing. It's definitely a significant amount. And, uh, what I see is that that time, hourly is worth more than that amount of money already. So, and it's exactly what you said. This will free me to generate way more than $2,000 a month. Um, After probably just one month, I'll probably be able to have created something or optimized something that will have made that money back. And it's all scales. So like, maybe you're not ready to pay $2,000 a month for an assistant. Maybe you're only ready to do $200 a month for- Or even project by project. Yeah, or even project by project, it will, the mo- the moment you actually use that extra time wisely, um, you can, it's amazing what you can get done once you have that freedom. Yep. If you really focus on it. So yeah, dude, Brian, thank you for coming on. Yeah. So if you, uh, if you are attending the URM summit, which that's right, is this sold out now? Is it, is, are people still? It's sold. Okay. No, no, no. It's, it's finalized. Okay. So it's yeah, if out. you, if you missed the boat on that sucks to suck, but for those of you who are coming, you, and you're thinking like, how the hell do I, will I get my first hundred dollars a month? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, that the URM summit, there's a lot of people, good people talking, but I'll be talking about how to kind of ramp up your income to go from hobbyist to full-time. And then you can start taking into the account, taking into account what we just talked about, which was, you know, increasing your dollar per hour worth through outsourcing and leveraging. So hopefully I see a lot of you, or I guess a, a chunk of you at that URM summit where we'll be talking about that. But, uh, yeah, for any, any anyone else wants any other info about any of this stuff, I'll make a website or a web page. If that's okay with you, you know, can I yeah, of send them to sixfigurehomestudio.com slash URM? I'll throw a couple things up on there. Like a uh, one of the things I think will be helpful is a rate sheet. 
that I've been mm-hmm. starting to give away as a rate sheet is like, how do you compare on your rates that you're charging for your services compared to, you know, what, what I'm telling you or what other people are charging. So I put a whole bunch of services on there and I, I section them for prices you should be charging as a beginner, as an intermediate and as an expert. And then I also have, um, I've talked about it before, but the five rules of uh, free work. If you're doing free work, I give you five rules to follow on there. So that sheet will be on that page. And is there anything else we talked about that I could throw on that page that would be helpful for for listeners? Let me just say something about free work. Yeah. You should do free work, but you should take care not to get screwed, which is something that can often happen. So whatever your five rules are, I'm sure they're great. And I'm sure they cover that. It takes it. It takes that into account for sure. Well, because you really do need to do free work and people do free work at all levels. Like even top dudes sometimes have to do something for free. Mm. Like that's not something that ever really goes away. Uh, Sometimes, you know, unless you're Hans Zimmer or something like there's, pretty much always going to be something that you need to prove to somebody or a favor you need to do or whatever. So start early, start doing free work early, but do it right so that you don't end up uh, hating yourself or life. I was talking about this on my Brian's brain thing, but that is like, if you struggle to get people to pay you, try to get free work. If you struggle to get people to even give you free work, then work on your fucking craft. Because if you can't even get people to to give you free work to do, then that's a really good sign that you are not ready to even get paid work. So start working on your craft, improving, and that's where people like Nail the Mix come in to kind of help with that. Hopefully. <laughs> so I'll also add on the URM uh, page, that's sixfigurehomestudio.com slash URM. Uh, I'll throw a, a pack I released recently, which is a five-song mix pack. So it's five songs that I've recorded myself in my studio, uh, different bands, and they all gave me permission to let people download it for free, they can mix it for mixing practice. And then if you want, if you like the way the mix turns out, just throw it on your portfolio. Uh, and that's all 100% free. So you can download that and and start mixing those songs and throw it up on your portfolio today. I mean, I've had people mix it within a couple hours of me releasing it and send me their mixes on it. And some of them are pretty good. So Probably because they took speed mixing. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, if that sounds See, like- it all works together. Yep. So that'll be on that page if you wanted that. And uh, maybe if I can find anything else that I think will be helpful to the listeners, I'll throw that up there as well. Great. Thank you. You're- Helpful as always. And uh, and if you want any more info about the business world, the Six Figure Home Studio podcast is uh, is out and on iTunes and everywhere else podcast is find, found now. So I'm on there with you my- You can find it in the show notes too. Sick. Uh, we're going to have links to all things Brian in the show notes. Dude, you're the best. So, so dude, can't wait to hang out in December. Heck yes. Me too. Should be fun. Cool. The Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast is brought to you by the 2017 URM Summit, a once-in-a-lifetime chance to spend four days with the next generation of audio professionals and special guests, including Andrew Wade, Kane Churko, Billy Decker, Fluff, Brian Hood, and many more. The inspiration, ideas, and friendship you'll get here are the things that you'll look back on as inflection points in your life. Learn more at urmsummit.com. To get in touch with the URM podcast, visit urm.com slash podcast and subscribe today.